Be enlightened, O Jerusalem, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We just heard the solemn announcement of all the great festivals of the liturgical year. Time was when people had to come to church on the festival of the Epiphany to find out when Easter would be. And so the solemn proclamation of the date of Easter constituted in some way the beginning of this great cycle of adoration and of glory set in motion by the birth and the showing forth of the Son of God. The Epiphany is, in a super-eminent degree, the great liturgical festival of adoration. When a soul perceives the light of Christ, that soul is compelled to adore. Thus do we hear in the Holy Gospel, and entering into the house, they found the child with Mary his mother, and falling down prostrate, they adored him. Now there are, if you will, three moments in the grace of adoration. The first of these is the perception of the light. From without the church, one sees a distant glow, a kind of glimmer of the light. But to see the light of Christ in its splendor, one must enter into the house that is the church. From the outside, the church appears to some small and perhaps confining. But when one enters the house of the church Catholic, one discovers from within that it is immensely spacious. Church is the place of the divine hospitality on earth. Not only is there room in the house of the Church Catholic for all, there is also pure water for cleansing, oil for the healing of every infirmity, and a banquet made ready with the living bread come down from heaven and with the joy-giving chalice of Christ's precious blood. The house of the Church Catholic is Mary's house. Therein she is mother, mother not only of Christ the head, the infant carried for nine months 
in her womb, beneath her immaculate heart, the infant nourished at her breast, but also mother of the members of the body of Christ, from the least to the greatest, all of whom she draws to her maternal heart. Mary's virgin body is the radiant monstrance of the body of Christ. She holds him in such a way as to show him to us. She says to every soul who enters the house of the church, Arise, be enlightened, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. The light that illumines Mary's house, the house of the church Catholic, shines from the adorable body of Christ in the most holy sacrament of the altar. How can one open one's eyes to the radiant body of Christ exposed in what Mother Mathilde called the sun, le soleil of the monstrance? and not see there the fulfillment of the words of the prophet Malachi, the son of justice shall arise, and health, meaning healing and wholeness, in his wings. The second moment in the grace of adoration is to fall down, as it is written in the Gospel, and falling down, they adored him. What is this mysterious falling down? It is a response to the brightness of the light. To fall down is to attempt to become level with the ground. It is the expression of a profound desire to become very little, very lowly. It is an attempt to say with one's whole body that one would wish to be able to pour oneself out, to break oneself open, to allow one's essence to be spent to the last molecule, like the precious perfume that flowed from the vase of alabaster, filling the whole house with its fragrance. This is what Mother Mathilde means when she speaks of en nothing meant, anéantissement. And when she makes it, the very condition of adoration in spirit and in truth. And we come to the third moment. The third moment in the grace of adoration is the offering of one's gifts. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These three gifts are, in fact, the symbol of the one and only gift that God desires of us, 
the offering of ourselves. <laughs> Mother MacTilde tells us that three qualities are necessary if we are to fulfill our vocation to adoration. Firstly, our adoration must be perpetual, that is, ceaseless. Secondly, it must be made in spirit, that is to say, in a spiritual manner. Thirdly, it must be made in truth, that is to say, withholding nothing, surrendering all, reserving no particle of what we would offer God for ourselves. Holding nothing back, putting nothing aside for a rainy day. We can see these three qualities represented in the Magi's gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold represents something of perpetual value, something that has perpetual quality. What then does it mean to adore perpetually? Mother MacTilde says, our adoration must be perpetual since it is the same God whom we adore in the Most Holy Sacrament who is present to us in every place. Here we see that Mother MacTill's doctrine of adoration is in fact a profoundly personal and life-giving interpretation of St. Benedict's twelfth degree of humility in the Holy Rule. For Mother MacTilde, the fullest expression of adoration is humility. And the fullest expression of humility is adoration. For Mother MacTilde, humility and adoration are, in effect, synonymous. The soul who is humble will adore, and the soul who adores will become humble. Mother MacTilde would have us adore always and everywhere in the work of God, in the oratory, in the monastery, in the garden, on the road, in the field, or wherever a monk may be, whether sitting, walking, or standing, an adoration that is perpetual is an adoration that rises with every breath that we draw, an adoration marked by the rhythm of every heartbeat. Frankincense represents the costly spiritual sacrifice that is adoration. Frankincense is the vital essence of the tree that produces it. It is, if you will, the lifeblood of the tree. Brother John Baptist would be better prepared than I to explain this to you. The tree is slashed, and the precious essence bleeds out of it. One who would adore in spirit must be ready to be stripped and slashed, like the frankincense tree, so as to give the blood of one's very essence in sacrifice. A 
sacrifice that is measured and calculated and weighed is no sacrifice at all. It cannot be a spiritual sacrifice that is one worthy of God who created us in his image and likeness to participate in the royal priesthood and in the victimhood of his son. And myrrh. Myrrh represents adoration in truth. Like frankincense, it is the lifeblood of a tree, of a small thorny tree. When a tree is bled of its essence, one sees it for what it really is. So too, when a soul allows her very essence to be bled out of her in adoration, she is what she is before God. There can be no perseverance in perpetual adoration without this essential bleeding. And without it, there can be no sacrifice, no victimhood worthy of the light that from the altar shines before the eyes of the soul. Today, the light has shone upon us. We have entered the house, Mary's house, the house that is the church Catholic. We have heard the word, and now with the Magi, but also with our father, St. Benedict, and with Mother Mactilde, and with all the men and women who have ever adored perpetually, and in spirit, and in truth. We have only to fall down, joining our adoration to theirs, and consenting that by the mystic overshadowing of the Holy Ghost in this Holy Mass, over the oblations of bread and wine set out upon the altar, and over ourselves, our adoration be consecrated in spirit and in truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.